Amen. Amen. So this morning, it's my joy and honor and privilege to invite our speaker for today, uh, Mr. Mr. Andre Chan. All right, so Andre, come. Bring us God's word. Good morning. How do you like the video? Was the video good? I was actually supposed to be in the video, uh, but I needed two years to get into character, so um, couldn't make it for the filming. So, in the next two years, you see, family pack to six pack. Uh, actually, I'm quite sad. One of my lines didn't make it into the video. One of my lines was, uh, Moses defeated the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Today, we'll defeat the Cellulites. Right, good line, right? I tell you, man, it didn't make it into the final cut. So that was quite sad. Uh, right. Uh, before we, we get started today, I want to release a couple of words. Can we do that? Yeah? Um, you know, how many of you enjoyed worship this morning? Come on. I tell you, man, the, we, we are getting there. We, are, we spent almost uh, 50 minutes in worship today. You know, that's, that's 20 minutes longer than, than where we usually go. And it, it didn't even feel that long. Come on. Yeah. Do you know one day you'll spend all eternity, yeah. all your life worshipping? And so you better get some endurance and some, uh, uh, some like grit and resistance going on. Amen? Yeah, and I thought, man, worship was, was super cool. And like Chris, when you, were, when you were leading worship, what I saw was I saw um, just melodies flowing out of you. But... The, the way I, I, I saw it was I didn't see it as like musical notes, but I saw it as different colors that came out of you. And I feel like the Lord is going to begin to download to you heavenly melodies. And uh, I think I, I, I came across a scientific study once, and it talks about how uh, every color has a purpose. And so uh, the flowers, they have different colors to attract uh, specific insects. And what I feel the Lord is going to give you is going to give you melodies for the purpose of evangelism. Melodies for the purpose of evangelism. The Lord is going to use you to marry the realms of worship and evangelism once again. And He's going to release prophetic melodies to you to bring the lost home. So let's stretch our hands and let's pray for Chris. Father, we ask for heavenly melodies, for downloads to come upon him even right now. Lord, we pray that, that his ears will be open to hear the sounds of heaven. Father, we thank you for a man that's faithful in the secret. And Lord, we ask that you'll reward him in public. Lord Jesus, right now we prophesy that songs and melodies will come forth from this man to bring the lost home, to bring the lost home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I, I, you know, I was so lost in, in worship that I forgot a few things I, I want to do. So stay here, stay here. You know, I, during worship, I was so lost. I just heard the Lord say that He wants to, to release new songs into the kingdom through our church. All right, and so we need to have a way. I don't know how to. I'm not the most strategic person. We need to have, have a way to share these new songs. And so when I was sensing that... Then Jason came up to me and said, can I sing a chorus? And so I said, sure, of course, because the Lord spoke to me that we will have new songs coming out. And I don't, I don't think we, you know, I'm, I'm quite a risk-adverse person, all right, when it comes to pulpit ministry. I, I want it to be like as palatable to the general public because we want to. But, you know, what, what, what I was thinking is maybe we intro like video, someone sing a new song. And, you know, I, I don't know, but I just sense that we will have new songs coming out from this church. 
Alright, so, and I feel that we should pray for those who have either written songs that have not been sung yet publicly because it's like your own toilet song, right? But it's like your prophetic song in the secret that have not been sung because you, you, you don't think that it's good enough. And people who, have, who believe God has called you to write songs for the kingdom. If that's you, can you stand? And I'll pass the mic to those who can write songs to pray for you, alright? <laughs> so please stand if that is you. If you have written songs or if you have not written songs but you feel strongly that God has called you, there are prophetic words over your life and... Come on, stand! I know there are people, alright? So... There are people, and if you don't stand, you may just miss the grace. So come on, Deb, stand. I know you've got... <laughs> uh, there are people. There are. In fact, I think there are two, three more that weren't too sure. You might not be as young, you know, but you might be older. There's always a song relevant to every generation. Amen. So where you are, stand, stand. I'll give you 10 more seconds. 10, 5, 2, 1. Come on! woo all right. Can the most anointed songwriter come and pray? <laughs> All right. All right. Sarah should stand up too. Belle, you should stand up too. Father, we thank you for singers and musicians. Father, we thank you for what you are doing on the earth, that the earth will be resounding with the songs of God. Father, the, the earth will, fill with the, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And I pray, God, from this city that you release songs, we birth of songs through intimacy. Father, I pray for the spirit of prophecy to be released upon these singers and musicians, that they will begin to look into the spirit and behold the king in his glory and beauty, that out from their lips will have, will have lyrics, Lord, and songs that will declare and to reveal the glory of God, that man will be astounded and be fascinated, Father, by, by who you are. So I thank you, Father. I pray for you to raise up singing theologians, singing musicians, singing musicians, Singing, singers and musicians who will be preachers, Lord, that will win souls and begin to expand your kingdom on the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give them a big hand, all right? Take down all their, their names and keep them accountable. We want to introduce new songs. All right, so worship team, uh, well, when you feel like there's a great song to sing and you think that it will catch on, sing it. If not, you can introduce it over YouTube or the video, all right, but, or SoundCloud. One last, one, one last thing before I hand the mic to the, the speaker is um, I just sense like, that God is also increasing uh, the prophetic flow in this church. If there is any prophetic word you have during the worship that is New Testament, all right, so don't come and say that God is going to kill all of Singapore and you know, New, New Testament prophetic ministry. Uh, during worship, just come up to one of the uh, pastors in the front and say, I've got, a, I've got a word to share. And don't go into a preaching, all right? Just a simple word, one minute or lesser to declare God's intent. Share it with us first and we feel that there's a, a release, do it. But we want to open up uh, people to move in that realm. So please do. All right, thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, Jason cut album or not? How many of you know? Jason... Jason has songs on an album, you know. Wow. I tell you. They have made it, man. You know, so I think, I think what we're going to do is we're going to put up both your songs on the city Facebook. And then what we're going to do is we're going to make plans to sing it in church. How many of you want to sing Christine's song? Come on. Wow. I tell you, man. <laughs> 
Oh, so fun. Um, well, you know, I, I absolutely love, um, whoa, I absolutely love speaking in, in church and uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. But you know, um, like it's, we've come to a point, you and me, where you've heard all my good stuff already. You know, like if I, if I were to go to, I, I go around the block a bit, I speak in different churches and I usually go forgiveness, the Roman, the dead person, and then they're like, oh my gosh. This guy is a genius. And, and we've come to a point, you and me, where I pretty much showcase like, <laughs> all my good stuff. And so sermon preparation is, is, is uh, beginning to be a little bit difficult <laughs> these days. Uh, but what I really feel uh, I have for you this morning is uh, a real uh, word for the Lord, a word from the Lord for, for us as, as a church, as, uh, as a body. You know? um, I actually had like, a completely different direction that I had in mind, but at 12 midnight, <laughs> you know, I, I really felt that, that this is something that we needed to go after as a church, as a community. And so today I'm going to talk about King Solomon, okay? And, oh, where's my slides? My slides. I only have one nice slide. The rest are black and white. It, it goes, whew. <laughs> Yeah. I tell you, man. When in doubt, Canva. <laughs> I tell you, this Canva thing, like they should pay me, right, for how much sales I'm getting them. Okay, today I'm going to talk about King Solomon and a uh, sermon title for this morning is The Rise and Fall of King Solomon. Everybody say rise and fall. I don't know whether you do this, but for me, I'm like, uh, when I read the Bible, I always relate to the good guys only. Like when I read about the story of Mary and Martha, I'm never Martha. I'm always Mary. When I read about the story of Joseph and the brothers, I'm always Joseph. I'm never the brothers. I'm always the one persecuted. I'm never the one persecuting, right? And, and we, it's, a, it's a natural tendency for us to do this, amen? Like when we read about Solomon, we were like, I'm like Solomon, I asked for, for wisdom. I, I'm such a great person, such a wise person. But we, we never ever look at the fall of Solomon and look at it and go, hey, maybe I'm susceptible to that as well. I think it's really important that when we read the Bible, when we read about these stories of great men of God, we also pay attention to the ones who failed, the ones who did not succeed, the ones who did not do well, and learn from their life and, and glean from certain lessons that the Lord uh, is showing to us through His Word. And to ensure that we don't fall into the same traps and we don't get entrapped in the same things. Amen? Come on, help me. And so King Solomon, today I, I, I want to uh, spend some time um, in First Kings. And, um, and that's it. <laughs> uh, it's, today is going to be a bit different. I'm going to do... Um, just uh, pull out different stories and different passages from First Kings. It's going to be a, like a Bible study, okay? This is a 120 people Bible study. Okay, so let's go. Let's move on. Okay, King Solomon. Okay, everybody say King Solomon. King Solomon. Okay, King Solomon, uh, okay, just a little bit of background on him. He was the illegitimate son of David and Bathsheba. Uh, we actually had a workout uh, plan called David and Bathsheba and we had to veto it. You know, how many of you know that the Aces workout is all biblical team? Like this is John the Baptist. This is <laughs> splitting the Red Sea. Uh, one of our cell members came up with the David and Bathsheba. It was not appropriate. It goes David, Bathsheba, David, Bathsheba. Forget it. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, despite of uh, his, his background, despite of where he came from, he, he was to become the most illustrious and successful king of Israel. He was also known as Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. And his 40-year reign was regarded as Israel's golden age. Okay? It was an age of prosperity and national unity. Solomon was traditionally considered the author of several books. Uh, that includes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, Jason's favorite book. His kingdom, <laughs> his kingdom was well-run administratively, and uh, if you read the, the, the chapters surrounding 1 Kings, you'll, you'll read about certain policies, certain reforms, certain uh, things that, that Solomon implemented that led to the prosperity and success of his kingdom. Solomon was such a wise king. And you know, in Isaiah 60, it talks about how kings will come to the brightness of the rising. That's a phenomenal verse, okay? Imagine, okay, the president of another country coming to our country to sit at our president's feet in order to learn. That, that, that just blows me away, that, that someone of royal prestige, someone who probably uh, lives in great comfort, has every need met, lives uh, in a surrounding an environment where everything functions in order to please or in order to, to uh, supply his needs, his wants, his desire. A man like that would travel from his land to Solomon's land to learn. And Solomon had that. Solomon had kings coming to the brightness of his rising. And it's as documented in, in 1 Kings that, that kings and queens will come to learn from Solomon and his wisdom. Solomon's kingdom was of such wealth that silver will be piled on the street. Silver will be piled on the street. Why were they piled on the street? Because they were worthless. They, they, they had no value in comparison to the wealth of Solomon's kingdom. Everything was covered in gold. That was how prosperous, that was how, how well-to-do, that was, it was literally the golden age. It was, it was so wealthy, so industrious, so attractive, Solomon's kingdom. And Solomon was the biblical king most famous for his wisdom. And um, you know, the story we, we read, um, uh, Solomon had an encounter with the Lord, and the Lord asked him, like, Solomon, what would you ask for me? And Solomon asked for wisdom. Right? And, and it's such an, an amazing passage of scripture, but we often forget that God did not appear to Solomon in like a, a physical form. The story actually accounts for God appearing to Solomon in his dreams. And Solomon had such a love, had such a heart, had such a desire for the Lord that even in his dreams, even when he's asleep, even when he had no control, he asked for the right things. He asked for wisdom. And that was Solomon. He, he asked for wisdom. And, and that verse, you know, uh, the, the, the verse that we have up there, it says this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart. Like the sand on the seashore, thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. And that was the, the nature, uh, that was the, the extent of Solomon's wisdom. He was such a great king. And uh, I, I want you to read this, this verse. Me. Go, go to the next verse. It's 1 Kings chapter 5. And this is 
Solomon describing his kingdom, Solomon describing Israel, Solomon describing the rule of a nation under the influence of wisdom. And says this, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. It rhymes, foes, souls. Next verse, it says, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. That is a crazy, crazy verse if you actually know what it means in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the word adversary literally translates to the word Satan. There is neither a Satan nor any evil occurrence. Okay, let me explain what that means. It doesn't mean that in Solomon's reign, Satan ceased to exist. It doesn't mean that. You see, how many of you have climbed a mountain before? Not Bukit Timah, like, okay, probably not a mountain. Something higher than Bukit Timah, right? Okay, and what you'll realize is that as you're climbing, as you're ascending to the peak, you will come to a point where there's either a sign, okay, or um, some big, big board that would say snake line. How many of you have seen that before? Okay, this is what a snake line essentially is. A snake line is an invisible line around the, the circumference of a mountain at a certain altitude. That means this. It means that past this line, because of the certain atmospheric conditions, because of the way the terrain is, snakes cannot exist beyond this line. Because here's the thing about, about mountains. They are, they're covered with different bushes. They're covered with different dark places. And sometimes you have snakes hiding in, in those bushes. And so you have to be really careful as you track up. And so what a snake line shows you is that it shows you that beyond this point, snakes cannot live. They cannot survive in this atmospheric condition. And, th- and this is what I believe Solomon's kingdom had. It was such a kingdom of wisdom. It was such a kingdom of the presence of God. It was such a kingdom, uh, a root and reign under the direction of the Lord that Satan could not exist in Solomon's kingdom. He had no influence it's like what the words of Jesus, Jesus said that Satan has no hold on me. The devil had no hold on Solomon and his kingdom because of the wisdom he had, because of the devotion he had to the Lord. It's interesting that the word wisdom used there is not wisdom meaning knowledge, but it's wisdom meaning a hearing heart. Solomon asked for a heart that hears. This, this was King Solomon. Great lover of God, successful in every way. How many of you agree? He was tremendously successful king. And uh, I, I have like a little graph that's not really done well, but follow me. <laughs> it's a bit laggy, but, but okay. But um, I, I really want to challenge with, to, uh, you this morning to... Um, to go through 1 Kings and, and, and look at different chapters. Let me just document what happens, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon asks for wisdom. In chapter 4, okay, it talks about the prosperity of Judah and Israel. And how, how Solomon's wisdom, how he crafted 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs. That is insane. 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs. I have not crafted a proverb in my life. I'm still trying to... Co- Confucius, eh? Okay, verse, verse 6. 
Solomon, uh, uh, chapter 6, it talks about Solomon building the temple. He built this temple and he, he dedicated uh, it to worship, to the adoration of the Lord, to host the presence of God. And by today's valuation, that temple based on the materials used would be worth $60 billion. Crazy. Easily the most expensive building in the world today. $60 billion. Okay, that was what, how much Solomon's temple was worth. Can you imagine that? It was such a, a nation of wealth. And in and, and chapter 7, he builds a palace. And this is what the, the Bible says. It, the Bible says that he used uh, so much material and it was so vast, it was, the quantities were so huge that they could not measure the weight of all that was used. It was so much stuff. And Solomon's palace becomes a, a, a landmark, becomes something of a great intrigue of the kingdoms of the world. And the kings and queens will actually come to Solomon's palace, look at the different furnishings, look at the way he organized things and learn and glean because it was filled with such excellence and creativity. That was Solomon's kingdom. Chapter 8, then Solomon brought the ark to the temple, the ark of the covenant representing the presence of God. Then he and the whole community of Israel sacrificed so much oxen and sheep that again, no one could keep count. Okay, now picture me. Oxen and sheep that no one could keep count, all being sacrificed at the same time. Just the administration of that alone is something to, to be admired, right? And it was not just him who sacrificed. He, he had and led a, a nation who would give to the Lord. That was, that was Solomon's reign. Chapter 10, he had the visit from the Queen of Sheba. And the Queen of Sheba is, is, is a queen, is a royal uh, figure from a distant land. And she came to Solomon's kingdom to learn from him. And that was the high point of Solomon's kingdom. How many of you are following me? That was, that was the high point of his rule. That was Isaiah 60 being fulfilled. Kings and queens will come to the brightness of a rising Solomon. And Solomon was at the high point of his kingdom, the high point of his reign. And if you read from chapter 10 onwards, you realize that from that point onwards, everything went downhill. It was almost like he went into a tailspin and he just could not recover. He could not recover and neither could the nation of Israel. From that point onwards, the nation of Israel was never as successful and prosperous ever again. What happened? What led to that tailspin? What led to that fall? You'll recognize as you, as you read on that, that what happened to the nation of Israel was they, they began to open up to idol worship, um, a, a nation that was set apart for the Lord, a nation that, that sacrificed so greatly to the Lord, a nation that had a temple that was the, the, the object of envy of every nation, a temple that was set apart for the presence of God, a nation like that. As the chapters proceed, open itself up to idol worship, and you realize after it opened up to idol worship, um, um, there were several disagreements, and then the nation became divided. And then afterwards, you know, it just, it just never recovered. That, that, uh, the nation of Israel um, opened the floodgates to the idols of Molech, Moab, Baal, opened its idols to everywhere. Every high place, every mountaintop, there was an idol there. It led to the nations divided, bad leaders raised up, and the eventual failure of the kingdom of Israel. 
And toward the end of his life, Solomon turned from being a confident, wise king to a shell of an empty man. And you can read about his pain in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, always vanity. A man like that, a shell of the empty man. How did a man like Solomon, who accomplished so much in his life for the Lord, end so poorly? How did he take so many steps back from where he started? How did he regress? How did he take so much steps back when he has done so much for the Lord? When King David uh, was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, um, when he was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, this is what the Bible, because the Bible says that every six steps he took, okay, what did he do? He sacrificed, right? He offered a fatter calf. He sacrificed. And every six steps that he takes, offers a sacrifice. Every six steps he takes, he offers a sacrifice. And I've often used this uh, passage to, to talk about the nature of sacrifice. How if you want to get from one place to another place, if you want to advance in the kingdom of God, sacrifice is an integral part of that process. Amen? And here's the thing. If sacrifice is the language of advancement, then compromise is the language of regression. I'm going to repeat that again. If sacrifice is the language of advancement, then compromise is the language of regression. And if you study Solomon's life from chapter, from chapter 10 onwards, you'll realize that Solomon made a series of compromises that led to the downfall of the nation of Israel. Here's the, here's the thing about compromise. Compromise is, okay, you don't get from being a wise king to nation of Israel destroyed in one moment. Okay? Compromise is, is this thing where you take little steps of compromise. Like, I compromise on this today. I compromise on this tomorrow. And it's a snowball effect that leads to the downfall of a person. Like King David, okay? It says, okay, do we have that verse up for King David? Probably not, Okay. Follow me. King David, it says, it says this, okay? In the days where King David, where the kings went out to battle, David chose to stay behind, okay? That's the, the, it, it, it accounts for this in the Bible, that in the days where kings went out to battle, David stayed behind. And what happened after that was, David, as he stayed behind, as he was roaming around, minding his own business, doing his thing, he saw Bathsheba. He saw Bathsheba. And then, what happened? He, he, he instructed his, his uh, servants to bring her in. And then he laid with her, got her pregnant. Okay, and then what happened after that? Bathsheba had a husband, and her husband's name was Uriah. And what David ended up doing was he tried to get Uriah drunk. Okay, and in order to stage this whole scene and this whole scenario that, oh, it was Uriah that got Bathsheba pregnant, not me. And that thing failed. And what happened after that was, as a last resort, he, he sent Uriah to the front lines of, of the battlefield, knowing full well that Uriah was going to be killed. Even though David did not commit murder by his own hands, he committed murder in every way. He knew Uriah was going to die. And so here's... Here's what happened. David, in the days where kings went out to battle, stayed back. And that led to the fall with Bathsheba. And that led to him 
operating in some manner of deception, trying to get Uriah to, to, to take the blame for what he did. And then afterward, as a last resort, he committed murder. It's a snowball effect. It starts with a compromise, a, a tiny compromise. I don't want to go to the battlefield. I'm tired today. I'm going to stay at home. It starts with a tiny compromise. And then it snowballs and snowballs and snowballs and leads to probably the greatest failure of David's life. He committed murder. Crazy. And that's how compromise works. It always starts with little steps, little steps, little steps, little compromises. And then it snowballs. And you can't recover. How many of you are following me this morning? And so this morning, we're going to look at three compromises that Solomon made in his life. Three compromises that Solomon made in his life. And the first thing Solomon compromised on was he compromised on his character. Everybody say character. character. Solomon compromised on his character. We have the verse up. Great. Okay. Before I, I read that verse, we have to understand some context and some background to this verse. Okay. In Deuteronomy 17, okay, this was the, the law to the kings and the day. It says that a king is commanded not to multiply horses nor wives and neither greatly multiply to himself gold or silver. And this was the, the commandment of the Lord to kings. Kings, you shall not multiply horses for yourself and you shall not multiply gold and silver for yourselves. That was the law for the kings. And here's what Solomon did in 1 Kings chapter 10. It says, the weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Isn't that a recipe for success? 15 besides that from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia and from the governance of the country. Basically what that verse is trying to say is Solomon multiplied gold for himself and every year he took 666 talents of gold. Wow. <laughs> he took it for himself. And we, we have to understand that that part of the promise, part of the prophetic word over Solomon's life was that he was supposed to be a prosperous, successful king. Amen? He was supposed to be wealthy. He was supposed to have all these things. What's wrong with him taking some gold? What's wrong with him amassing wealth? Isn't that part of the prophetic word? Isn't that part of the promise? Might I suggest to you this morning that in the kingdom of God, it's not just about fulfilling objectives, it's not just about fulfilling promise, but it's about the way, the means to which you apply to get to the fulfillment. In Joshua 1.8, this is my favorite verse, it says this. It says, and, and this is uh, uh, the Lord's instruction to Joshua as he, he takes on his new appointment as the leader of the children of Israel. And this was what uh, the, the, the Lord said to Joshua, he said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. How many of you are familiar with this verse? Yep. Okay, in that verse, the word then, okay, is not how we traditionally understand it, and then. Do these things, and then this will happen. That word then is the word Hebrew word, Oz, and all simply means this. It means that at that time, at that moment, this. And so if we'll replace then with that word, it says this. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For at that moment, you will make your way prosperous, and at that moment, you will have good success. Right there and then, we see that the Bible, the kingdom of God, has a completely different definition of success than we do. To us today, success equals to this. It equals to the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. Right? It's all about meeting objectives. But the Bible defines success completely differently. It says this, if you take the book of the law, you take my words and you meditate on it, you mutter it under your breath, and you observe to do it, you purpose yourself to do it in all your ways, at that moment, you will have success. For the Bible, kingdom success celebrates intention over outcome. It celebrates obedience. For us today, we measure success by how much we do, by how much we accomplish. But the Bible measures success by your heart posture. How are you posturing? How are you setting yourself to obey the word of the Lord? And that was Solomon's folly. He wanted to to accomplish that, that goal of being a prosperous, successful king at the expense of the word of the Lord. At the expense of the commandments of God. I wonder how many of us this morning, in the pursuit of success, in the pursuit of efficiency, in the pursuit of an accomplishment of a goal, aim, or purpose, have sacrificed the word of the Lord on the altar of success. I want to be efficient. I want to get things done more quickly. Maybe I call the customer rep and scream my lungs out. Be rude to get things done. We are all guilty of that at some point. Maybe the, the prophetic word over my, my life is to, to be promoted. God, promise me this position. I'm going to backstab. I'm going to pavuto. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my way to the top because that's the word of the Lord for my life. And we're completely mistaken where we think the kingdom of God is all about meeting objectives and the means don't matter. The means do matter. And when we compromise on the means, it's a slippery slope down a hill of no return. <sighs> Amen. Uh, I, you know, I, can I just cam on this for, for, for just a bit? Do you mind? Um, I promise I'll end by 12. I, I'm so convicted by, by what the kingdom of God defines as success. You know, in Matthew 7, Jesus uh, uh, warns of, of, of a people who will come to him in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? Did we not prophesy? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not cast out demons? And then this is what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, depart from me, for I do not know you, you who practice lawlessness. It's such a sobering thing to me because those are the exact things I do. I prophesy. I heal the sick, I cast out demons. And it's, it's such a, a sobering thing because I can be all about that kingdom stuff, be all about fulfilling the kingdom objective, but, at, but while doing so, completely deny, completely ignore, completely disregard the laws of God. He said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you who do not abide by my laws. Obedience is far greater than sacrifice. 
It's all about obedience. I never truly understand that verse until I got into a relationship. Andre, I don't want chocolate right now. I don't want roses. I just want you to listen. I just... <laughs> no, just me. Obedience is far greater than sacrifice. Amen? You've got to listen. You've got to listen. Another area Solomon compromised in was he compromised on his community. He compromised on his community. First Kings chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, it says, Now Solomon, King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, who was, who was his wife. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites, the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. This was the origin of Pokemon Go, man. Solomon caught them all. <laughs> 700 wise, man. 300 concubines. Y'all know a Pokemon Go reference was coming. It's, you have to. Uh. I, I know I, 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 I phrased it as he compromises his community when this is clearly speaking about his wives. But here's the thing, okay? We're trying to apply the Bible in your lives this morning, right? Most of you will probably, okay, all of you will probably not have 700 wives, but you'll definitely have 700 friends, okay, Facebook or something. And it's so important for us to understand that community is such an essential part of our journey in maturing as children of God. A pastor once told me, he said, show me who you surround yourself with and I will tell you your destiny. Show me who you keep close to you. Show me who are your friends and I will show you your destiny. They're interconnected. Isn't it interesting that the man who wrote, the righteous shall choose their company carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray, would have fallen into that very trap. Isn't it interesting that the man who wrote 3,000 Proverbs will not heed them? I believe everything in the kingdom of God was designed to thrive. Everything that God created was designed to thrive, was designed to function. Like if I were to take a fish, okay, and I chug it in the water, what would happen to the fish? The fish would swim, right? If I take a bird, okay, probably full-grown bird, and put it in the air, the bird will fly. If I take a seed and I plant it in the ground, give it the certain conditions in it, what will happen? The seed will grow, okay? Fish you put in the water, fish will swim. Bird you put in the air, bird will fly. Seed you put in the ground, seed will grow. Okay. Inbuilt in these Entities, okay, inbuilt in the fish is the ability to swim. Do we agree on that? Inbuilt in the bird is the ability to fly. Do we agree on that? Inbuilt in the seed is the ability to grow. Do we agree on that? But how many of you know that your ability is as important as the atmosphere, as the conditions, as the environment that you put yourself in? If I take the fish and I put it in the air, the fish is not going to fly, the fish is not going to swim. If I take the bird and I shove it into the sea, the bird is not going to fly. If I take the seed and I chuck it into a volcano, the seed is not going to grow. Am I making sense? No matter how wise you are, no matter how talented you are, no matter how gifted you are, if you put yourself in the wrong environments, in the wrong conditions, surround yourself with the wrong people, you will not thrive. I'm making sense to you. I yell it. I yell it until you get it. 
Lamb 49. Come on. When, how many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah? How many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah? And Jonah, we know, is, is a prophet, and uh, he was given, we all are familiar with that Jonah was eaten by a whale for three whole days. The rainbows. Okay. Anyway, Jonah, okay, he was given a, a mission. He was given a direction to the Lord. Go to Nineveh, right? And we all know that Jonah disobeyed God, and he, he jumped on the boat, and he, he went the opposite direction. It's so interesting if you study the, the geography of it. Jonah to Nineveh was only 500 miles, but if, where, where Jonah was planning on going was 1,500 miles away from where he was. Isn't it interesting that we will often spend more work disobeying God than actually obeying God? So funny, okay? So Jonah was in this boat, okay, and he was with sailors. He was with people in the boat, and Jonah was asleep. What happened was the storms raged and, and they were the pushing and shoving the boat around and, and the, the boat looked like it was going to capsize. And then the sailors woke Jonah up and said, Jonah, wake up. Go tell your God to calm the storms down. And Jonah was like, uh, I don't think it was going to work. Because <laughs> Jonah knew uh, in, in his disobedience to, to God, God was not going to bless him. And so Jonah was like... Um, you know, I think there's only one way out of this whole situation. You need to pick me up and throw me off the boat. He recognized that there was because of him that these storms were hitting them. These storms were stopping them from advancing. And some of you today, you're not advancing in life. You're not getting all that God has for you. You're not prospering because you have Jonah in your boat. You are surrounding yourself with a person of disobedience. Today, you need to take Jonah, pick him up, and chug him off the boat. You need to be serious about the destiny, about the call of God in your life. Get rid of Jonah! Come on! Last point. Solomon compromised on his convictions. Everybody say convictions convictions. And let's read that verse. It says this, in Solomon's old age, they, his wives, turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father had done. The next verse, Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. And this was Solomon, the guy who built the $60 billion temple, the guy who sacrificed beyond all measure, the guy who loved the presence of God, the guy who, who longed and asked for the hearing ear, a uh, hearing eye. He, he longed to be like his father David, completely devoted to the Lord. David was such a remarkable man. Do you know that for the rest of eternity, David's name will be associated with Jesus? And David came to such a place with the Lord that, that the Lord would commend him in such a manner. David was completely devoted to the Lord. And Solomon, from the onset, was like, I'm going to be like my father David. 
I'm going to worship you, God. And it was interesting that, that in that whole uh, conversation, the Lord did warn Solomon about the possibility of him opening himself up to different gods, to false gods. And Solomon was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow you like my father David. This is Solomon, a wise, successful King Solomon. In the verse we read earlier, we, we recognize that, that Solomon loved his foreign wives. He loved his 700 wives. He loved his concubines. And what that, that ended up doing to Solomon was it took his gaze away from the Lord. And he began to love, he began to, to, to associate his identity, his personality himself with his wives. And he, he loved them so much that he longed to please them. He longed to do things for them. And he recognized that these wives, they, they all had their foreign gods from their foreign lands. He was like, I'm going to build shrines. I'm going to build idols so that you can offer incense, so that you can offer sacrifices to your Lord, to your God. And it opened up the floodgates for idol worship in Israel. All because he wanted to please those around him. Isn't it interesting that it's all connected? That your compromise on your community will in turn lead to a compromise on your character. Compromise on your character will in turn lead to the compromise of your convictions. Who you surround with will cause you in some way to redefine your convictions. He wanted to please them. He completely went off the deep end and became a serial idolater. It's so interesting, this whole thing of, about fear of man, pleasing man that leads to a compromise in convictions. And we have to be extremely wary of that in, in light of success, in light of pursuing these promises. And the reason why I bring up this story this morning is because in a lot of ways, this church, individuals are a lot like Solomon. Gifted, talented, beloved by the Lord, have amazing success, are doing super well in life. And, and it, we are like Solomon in the sense of we have all these promises, we have all these dreams, all these goals, all these prophetic words, and we are all in pursuit of pursuing these things. But we have to understand as a church that in, in the place of success and in the pursuit of success, we cannot sacrifice the things that which, which are sacred to us. We cannot sacrifice the fundamental things which are and is the, the devotion and uh, affection we have for the Lord. And that manifests itself in our obedience to His commandments. So Solomon, in a bit to please, in a bit, to, 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 to gain favor, lost his conviction. How many of you can say that has happened to me at some point? In a bit to please, in a bit to gain favor, in a bit to advance, I sacrifice my conviction. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Crazy. And the accumulation of all these things, his compromise in character, his compromise in community, his compromise in his convictions was what led to the fall of Solomon and the eventual fall of the nation of Israel. I want to share um, just one more uh, a thought from the Bible before we close. How many of you are familiar with Jesus? Yeah? <laughs> He's a great guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, see, Jesus was... was 
was uh, born to the earth and he was uh, sent to the earth in, in really interesting circumstances. And, you know, the, the Bible doesn't fully account for the historical and cultural context uh, of Jesus' day. And we have to understand that Jesus came uh, in, in the time of, of, of uh, the people of God where they were longing for a Messiah figure. They were longing for someone to come save and deliver them. And, and they had little, little foretaste of it, but these guys weren't the real messiahs. They would come, they would rule, they would conquer, but in the end, they would end up oppressing the people of God. And, and the, 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 the people of God were, were longing for a messiah, were longing for a savior, and Jesus was sent to the earth in that context. When we read about the different messianic prophecies in the Bible, we, we, we see a common theme, okay? It talks about the cross, but... In a lot of the Messianic promises, it talks about there's coming a Savior and a Messiah, and He will rule and reign over the earth, and He will establish His kingdom. If you read Isaiah 9, it talks about his, the increase of His government and peace shall know no end, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall accomplish this. Part of the, the objective of Jesus' life, if you will, part of the fulfillment of these promises is for Him to come, rule and reign, establish His kingdom. Amen? And these messianic promises, they are so vast that, that, that a scholar once, once wrote that uh, to fulfill just eight of these prophecies, the odds are one is to 10 to the power of 17. That would be like to cover Singapore in $1 coins up to 200 feet and labeling one coin and picking that one coin that you marked. That was the odds for Jesus to, to accomplish just eight of these messianic prophecies. And so we all know Jesus had an objective to fulfill. He had a goal to meet. That was rule and reign, establish a kingdom. In Matthew 7, you know, the, the, we, we read about the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was uh, uh, driven in the wilderness, ballowed into the wilderness. He was, he was sent there. And in, in the wilderness, after 40 days of fasting, 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, the Bible accounts, and Jesus grew hungry. After 40 days of fasting, for me, it's only like four minutes. And so, and so Jesus was hungry, and then the devil came, and he tempted Jesus. And these are the three temptations, and I'm sure we're all familiar with that. You don't need the verses up. First temptation, the devil was like, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Second temptation, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down from this high place, and the angels will come and, and bear you up, that your feet will not hit the ground. And the third temptation the devil uh, tempted Jesus with was, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, no, uh, Jesus, you bow before me, really easy, bow before me, worship me, and I'll give to you the nations of the world. We have to understand the allure of the temptations of Jesus. You see, the devil did not show up to Jesus in a red jumpsuit with a pig fort and go, aha, I'm the devil. He shows up to Jesus in, in, in a lot of ways, the, in, the, in the same way the devil would show up to us through our thoughts, through, through certain desires, through certain inclinations, he, he pushes us towards. And He did that to Jesus. And you have to understand that, that if Jesus were to give in to any one of these temptations, it would be a shortcut to achieving that thing of ruling, reigning, establishing kingdom, or being a person of power. It was like, you know, if you go on an amazing race, it's like taking the fast forward, the green fast forward cut, and go straight to the finish. That was what, Jesus, that was what the devil was offering to Jesus, a fast forward, a quick, painless out to get to the end, okay? 
First one, if Jesus were to turn the stones to bread, he would instantly become a popular figure. The nation was, was riddled in poverty, riddled in, in, in a famine. Jesus, if he were to turn the stones to bread, he would be exalted like a God. You solve the world hunger issue. We're going to make you our God. If Jesus were to jump off from the high place, and this high place was not out of the city, it was in the middle of the city, if Jesus were to jump off from that point, and angels, literal angels would come and catch him, everyone would see, and they will know he's the son of God. Fast forward, instantly, they will exalt him like a God, rule and reign, please establish your kingdom. The third one, easy, bow, worship me, and I'll give to you the nations of the world. Quick, painless, no cross, no scourging, no whips, get to the end. Jesus could have easily given in to any one of these temptations out of a fear of man, out of a need to please these people who are longing for a Messiah figure, who are longing for someone who will come establish, rule and reign, be this exalted God figure. But instead, he chose a lowly route, bore the cross, bore the shame, even was ridiculed by the ones he came to save to establish the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't compromise. He didn't choose the easy way out. He understood what true success is. He understood what the kingdom of God was all about. It was not just about getting to an outcome. It was about the intention. In the kingdom of God, integrity is as important as ability. In the kingdom of God, character is as important as competence. And for some of you today, as I'm speaking, maybe you know you have compromise on certain areas. Maybe, you know, the very areas that I'm talking about today. You might have compromised in the people you surrounded yourself with. You might have compromised in your character. When you ought to stand up for something, you choose not to. You might have compromised in your convictions. I, it's okay, I don't need a band today. You might have compromised. Sorry. <laughs> No, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to give an altar call today. You know, I, I, you, know, you know where you're at. You might have compromised in, in certain areas, you know. And as I close today, I want every eye to be closed and every head bowed in this place. Every eye closed, every head bowed. And the truth is, you know, all of us, we, we, we're, there's this thing built in us to want to be successful, to want to do well, to want to be effective. Every one of us wants that the words that was said over the faithful servants, good and faithful servant, you have done well with, with, with what has been accorded to you. We want to be successful, we want to be effective. But we have to realize and understand that our effectiveness and us meeting objectives cannot be at the expense of our relationship with God cannot be a result of compromise. And this morning as, as I'm preaching, um, you know where you are, you know, uh, you know the, the things that, that you have gone through, the things that, that you, know, you, you probably may have done or may have been tempted to done. And you're asking for grace this morning. You're asking, God, I, I don't want to live a life of compromise anymore. Or I've compromised in certain areas and, and I need to be redeemed. I don't want to to go down a slippery slope. I don't want to go down to a point of no return. 
And the great thing for you and I this morning is that even though King David fell, even though King David compromised, he repented and he was redeemed. And like I said earlier, you know, for all eternity, his name will be associated with the Son of God. And there is grace in the house this morning. There is uh, an anointing that will break off any shackles of shame. And so if that is you this morning, you're saying, Andre, I, I need grace in my life. I, I need someone to pray for me to get out of this slippery slope of compromise. I need grace this morning. Can I ask you to gently lift your hands and I'll pray for you. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to wait for a little while longer. If you have compromised in, in purity, if you have compromised and, and you have made a dance with sin this morning, there is grace, there is freedom in the house this morning to break sin right now. I even speak to the spirit of pornography. You are to be broken right now in Jesus' name. No longer, no longer that this church will be a pure, spotless, blameless church. I'm just going to give a bit of time to this. If, if you are still saying, Andre, I, I want you to pray. I need grace. I need freedom today. I just want to ask you gently lift your hands. Lift your hands. I'm just going to wait a little while longer. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you that on the cross, you paid it all. Jesus, we thank you that your blood is sufficient for our freedom, for our liberty. And God, we ask for your blood to wash over us even right now in a mighty way to cleanse every unrighteousness, to cleanse every sin, sin to, to break every shame. God, it says that you bore our shame. God, we, we, we say we no longer want to live in a place of shame, to live in a place of compromise. We ask right now in Jesus' name that be broken right now. God, that you will free your people to truly pursue what is success in the kingdom. That is not just about meeting objectives. It's not just about material wealth. It's not just about getting more things. But God, we want to live the life that Joshua did. To meditate on the word of the Lord. To observe, to do all the things that was commanded of us so that we may have good success. God, we say this morning that we long to purpose to do your will, to obey you to hear your heart in all ways. God, we ask for your grace to be in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.